I am an optimist trying to be a pessimist. Like I am not wired to be the best fantasy football analyst because the best fantasy football analysts are, by their very nature, pessimists. So I have to work every day to temper my enthusiasm But a lot of players that I want to like. You have to understand that I am predisposed to want the best for Miles Boykin. I do. Runs a 4-4-2 at 6-4-2-20. That's a 98th percentile speed score with a 99th percentile burst score, and he has crazy agility. How does a guy that big run a 10-84 in the agility drills? I don't understand it. It's the reason why he has a 100th percentile catch radius. <laughs> Miles Boykin is one of those many reasons why player profiler exists. We exist so Miles Boykin can get noticed. He can get noticed before minicamp and training camp start when the rest of the football world starts to notice him making plays, scoring touchdowns in preseason. But it's amazing what a touchdown in preseason will do that a dominator rating and a speed score and a spark score won't do. The full body of work at Notre Dame. Athletic measurables. Yet it's a singular touchdown in preseason that moves the needle. That's what I object to. And it's that enthusiasm that I fight against. And I don't want to fight against it. I want to join you cheering on these preseason performances that mean nothing. I want it so badly, but I'm not able to participate standing on the platform watching these hype trains go by. For two reasons. Number one, the best analysts in this business are pessimists. The conservative thinkers have the best rankings, generate the best projections. Those running out to best case scenario on players time and time again also happen to deliver the worst possible content. Their rankings don't score well. Their articles don't hold up. And I've asked this of multiple analysts. Am I allowed to just see it first? Can I see it first? Am I allowed to just see it first before we start running across the lawn with our flags, the players' faces painted on them? Too much to ask? No? Yes? Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's too much! It's so much more fun to post a gif of Preston Williams beating the number seven corner for the Miami Dolphins in one-on-one drills. It's much more fun. Look at that footwork. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't tell you anything because every NFL receiver has that footwork. It's all relative to the level of competition. So many running backs coming out of small schools look fast on tape because they're playing against relatively slow defenders. So I know the optimal disposition, and I also now have a long memory. I've been at this for a few years at this point. I've learned a lot of lessons. I've been way too far out ahead on a lot more players than I've been behind on. And every year that I become more pessimistic and more conservative, I get better at this. It's no coincidence. I want to emulate the best in the business, and I remember... I remember Tajay Sharp. Once upon a time, fifth round pick out of UMass, Tajay Sharp had the most impressive training camp of any wide receiver in his draft class. He's now 24 years old and he's doomed. That magical year where he was the best player throughout training camp, Tajay Sharp caught 41 passes for 522 yards and two touchdowns. His catch rate was below 50%. He was definitively not usable in fantasy football. 
But the hype, oh, the hype was intense. Singe your eyebrows level heat coming off this Tajay Sharp meteorite in the sky, but he burned up in the atmosphere before impact, as so many of these preseason shooting stars do in fantasy football. You say, well, Miles Boykin, he wasn't an early fifth round pick. He was a late third round pick. There's no target competition in Baltimore. Well, there wasn't a lot of target competition in Tennessee when Tajay Sharp was melting preseason faces. And Willie Sneed is going to go ahead and be the most productive wide receiver in this passing game. And if it's not Willie Sneed, it's most likely going to be their first round pick, not their late third round pick. And this is coming from an athleticism connoisseur. I want to love Miles Boykin. And I respect his playmaking ability that he showed in college, that he showed in preseason, and that he's already flashing in actual games during preseason. But... He's still a 22-year-old rookie with a 30% dominator rating. And like Tajay Sharp, he has a mobile quarterback who projects to finish near the bottom of the league in pass attempts. I mean, the parallels are actually strong, with the exception of the size and the athleticism. I mean, uh, same guy, right? The reason Tajay Sharp was doomed was his BMI, 6'2", 194. So he couldn't beat press coverage. Miles is not going to have that problem. Miles Boykin with the upper 90th percentile burst compared to Tajay Sharp and his 16th percentile burst. Physically, these are very different players. But situationally and conceptually from a fantasy football equity standpoint, they're similar. But Tajay Sharp didn't deliver in the athleticism department. He did deliver in the age-adjusted college dominance department. So I'm not saying it's impossible for Miles Boykin to be productive this year. I'm just saying it's unlikely. But you talk to a lot of analysts, especially analysts without a lot of experience, that haven't seen the things that I've seen, that have a more optimistic point of view than most, they're running out to best case scenario on Miles Boykin. I I just can't get there. I prefer Terry McLaurin for all the reasons I outlined on the last show with Patrick Doherty. I prefer Terry McLaurin. He is Miles Boykin's equal in the athleticism department, but I believe in many ways he had a more impressive college career given the target competition he faced at Ohio State that Miles Boykin did not face at Notre Dame. And Terry McLaurin projects to be a featured weapon on a team that we know wants to throw the football, unlike Baltimore, who wants to run the football. That really matters. And you could also argue that local beat reporters in that mid-Atlantic area believe Terry McLaurin is having an even stronger camp than Miles Boykin, if that's even possible. I didn't think it was possible, but it actually is possible. Terry McLaurin looks more refined at this point in his career than Miles Boykin, so I give the advantage to McLaurin. Both of their ADPs are rising significantly. Miles Boykin's is up 47 slots at the FFPC. <laughs> McLaurin's is up 20 slots. And I take credit for that. I'm raising my hand because high-stakes drafters actually listen to this show. I was shocked to learn this. And there's no better place to play high-stakes fantasy football than at the FFPC. They have dynasty leagues. They have best ball leagues, live draft, slow draft, in-person draft, online draft. And their main event at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas is the biggest event in fantasy football. So go to my FFPC and register and book your accommodations and make it happen. The high-stakes drafters are susceptible to the preseason hype machines as anybody. We're all susceptible, especially in the later rounds, You're just feeling around in the dark for upside. And when you look at Terry McLaurin and 
Miles Boykin's profile on playerprofiler.com, their athleticism screams upside on two of the shallowest depth charts in the league. So I don't begrudge you if you select Boykin or McLaurin. I just happen to be on Team McLaurin. And I'm warning you that there's only going to be one of these guys from the third round or beyond that actually breaks out this year. There's one guy every year from the third round and beyond, and there's typically one undrafted free agent. So I'm sorry to announce between Preston Williams and Jacoby Myers, there can be only one. It pains me to release this information out into the world. There can be only one. You're not going to have two undrafted breakout wide receivers in the AFC East this season. It's not going to happen. And by not going to happen, I mean it's very unlikely, but it could happen. And Preston Williams is a closer comp to Tajay Sharp than Miles Boykin. Miles Boykin, the antithesis of Tajay Sharp in the size and athleticism department. Uh, Preston Williams was a dominant college receiver from a fringy conference. He went to Colorado State, and he's even slower with less burst than Tajay Sharp. But we learned this lesson with Rashad Higgins. It's taken how many years for Rashad Higgins to climb the ladder to a starting job in the NFL. And this year, he's going to be the starting slot receiver in Cleveland at age 25, a sub-athlete from Colorado State who put up monster age-adjusted college production. Preston Williams put up monster production, but he did it at a later age because he had to transfer to Colorado State. So he had a difficult life, but it appears he's refocused. And I'm excited to see what he can do in the NFL. I just don't think it's likely he delivers for fantasy gamers this year or even next year. Maybe at some point. I'm just not there and I'm not going to be there because I have learned to be pessimistic. It is learned behavior. It is not innate. I mean, I can go to the Preston Williams profile and find reasons to like him. I mean, he's best comparable to Jay Kumaro, who I love. Jay Kumaro is 27 years old. Ask Jay Kumaro how easy it is for a dominant small school player to break out in the NFL after going undrafted. Just ask Jake Kumaro. Please, someone, ask him. But if it's not Preston Williams, it's got to be Jacoby Myers, right? Maybe. At least Preston Williams has a clear path to the number four wide receiver role. He's fighting with Trenton Irvin, Jakeem Grant, Isaiah Ford, and Alan Hearns for that number four wide receiver job. And I won't be surprised when Preston Williams captures that job. Jacoby Myers is just slightly more athletic than Preston Williams, much less dominant at the college level, and has more players to overcome on this Patriots depth chart. It's not just Julian Edelman, it's Nikhil Harry when healthy. I know he's suffering a number of lower body injuries, but they're going to shut him down so that he's ready for week one. Philip Dorsett is a locked-in starter on the Patriots. He is the outside field stretcher on that team. He's going to command an 80% snap share this season. Maurice Harris has been running with the ones. Braxton Berrios has been making plays in camp and getting noticed by beat reporters. Best of luck to you, Jacoby Myers. Please, by all means, play Jacoby Myers in preseason DFS. But don't trade for him in Dynasty. And don't draft him in seasonal leagues. I mean, this is madness. His ADP is up two rounds in the FF. It's just like, what? Everyone take a breath. If you're looking for an undrafted wide receiver who has a real chance to break out this season, why not a player who already broke out in his rookie year? He filled our one undrafted rookie breakout quota two years ago. It's Keelan Cole. This is another extremely shallow depth chart 
without a true alpha on the roster, having lost Dante Moncrief and already alluding to the fact that Marquise Lee will not be ready to start the season. And who did the Jaguars hire as their offensive coordinator? Oh, John Philippa. And you'll remember the name John Philippo because he was fired by Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings for passing the ball too much. He was the reason why Kirk Cousins was throwing the ball more than 40 times a game. They fired to Filippo, they bring in Stefanski, and he stifles the pass attempts under 30 per game for the last three games of the season. We're worried about the Vikings passing game for some of the same reasons the Jaguars passing game could deliver great value for fantasy football this year. And a third-year receiver is a hell of a lot more likely to break out than a rookie, especially a third-year receiver who already has a 700-yard season on his resume. But he's not the new thing. We've heard the name Keelan Cole before. We're tired of him. We want something shiny, fresh, and new. And that's Jacoby Myers. That's Preston Williams. That's Miles Boykin. But in reality, it's players like Rashard Higgins. It's players like Keelan Cole that project to have real roles in either prolific offenses or vastly improved offenses that have a much higher likelihood of breaking out. Higgins and Cole are the undrafted sub-athletes you should be targeting because they're veterans. But the paradox is because they're veterans, they lack sex appeal. They're no longer new. And this is how the pessimist can mine value in the later rounds at the expense of the always fickle fantasy competition. And I'll ask my guest, Evan Silva, of all these players, the size-speed specimens in the third round like McLaurin and Boykin or the shiny new undrafted sub-athletes or some of these non-athletic post-hype slot receivers, we'll ask Evan Silva who he likes, who he prefers. And in the meantime, you need to go to Monkey Knife Fight. And the easiest way to go to Monkey Knife Fight is just go to any player page and click on the little monkey on the right. And my cheat code on Monkey Knife Fight, if I don't want to do any research, because I'm busy, I've been moving... This is my first show from the new studio. My favorite monkey knife fight cheat is just take the Mike Trout total bases over. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, Mike Trout's fun to cheer for. Extra base hits are fun to cheer for. Steals are fun to cheer for. So just take the total bases over on Mike Trout and enjoy life. That's my monkey knife fight tip of the week. And the beauty is when you sign up, you get double your money up to $50. Up to $50 deposited, so get those deposits in now before the NFL season starts, and you get a free dollar contest. So use that free $2 contest on the Mike Trout over. Now, let's go talk to Evan Silva. You know him. You love him. Be sure to follow him at Evan Silva on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio program. The emperor of fantasy football. He's not a duke, he's not a lord, he's not a king, he's the emperor of fantasy football. He is the man. This is Evan Silva I'm talking about. He just started a new site, Establish the Run. Already one of the best fantasy content sites in the world. I'm a subscriber, you should be too. Evan Silva, talk to me. Yeah, man, it's good to be back with you, my friend Matt Keller. We we haven't podcasted since, uh, I think, the Big Blue Bubble Boy. And that show was dedicated to the Giants and the Giants alone. So we've yet to explore other teams and other players across the NFL, and that's what I'm excited to do today. But if you haven't heard it, you have to go listen to the Big Blue Bubble Boy. It is as relevant now as it's ever been. Yeah, it got uh, such attention that 
It actually got a, a mention on Mike Francesa's show. Uh, it was a blast doing that. But, you know, that, that's we did that in the easy part of the offseason when we can kind of kick back and talk about, you know, the quote-unquote real football things and our expectations and our predictions haven't gone wrong yet. And that part of the year is coming very soon. You know, things are going to start going not as we expected. Our job is to maintain a Bayesian process, avoid take lock, and adjust as new information comes in. I think that's a critical part of being an actually helpful fantasy analyst, whether it be, you know, a little bit of coach coach speak here and there or injury impact from other positions on a particular player or in an, in an offense as a whole or a guy just not firing that we expect to fire. And it's okay if that information has been available for months and you just weren't aware of it and now you've become aware of it. We are dealing in a world of information overload. So you shouldn't feel ashamed if an important insight that was shared months ago by some other analyst is just now coming across your desk. Some analysts experience take lock because they're embarrassed that they didn't know something they should have known, so they just re-entrenched themselves. Yeah, and I think the biggest pitfalls in being a fantasy analyst is being ignorant of new information, ignoring, just completely ignoring things that coaches say, completely ignoring things that happen in the preseason, especially from a, a personnel and usage standpoint. Uh, we need to absorb it and adjust accordingly and appropriately. And at the end of the day, the ability to do that capably is going to separate the fantasy football winner from the fantasy football losers. And that's well said. I distinctly remember our early shows where we were struggling to find our voices. And now here you are hitting all the notes perfectly. You're good at this, man. You're good at this. You're good at both the analysis, no one's better, and you're also good at communicating the important insights. Now talk to us about Establish the Run. Well, Establish the Run uh, was founded by myself and Adam Levitan with some help from um, Andrew Wiggins, a very high stakes, uh, nosebleed stakes uh, DFS player, uh, and Taylor Kaby, who started a uh, poker uh, help site uh, about 10 years ago and had a lot of success uh, in, in those areas. And Adam and, and Adam and I, of course, worked at Roto World for about five or six years together. Uh, and we always wanted to work together again. We finally got that opportunity this offseason and were able to capitalize and make it happen. Um, and the, the feedback to the website has been overwhelmingly positive so far. We've been crushing it in preseason DFS. Uh, I think our draft kit is is outstanding. Uh, it has a ton of information from you know offensive line information to um, you know, my top 150, my tiers, team previews for all 32 clubs. Uh, and we're adding new information to the draft kit all the time. And then we're going to hit uh, daily fantasy really, really hard during the season. Uh, and we're going to be uh, and we, we have a ton of information for season long as well. We got Josh Hermsmeyer's air yards by low model exclusive to establish the run. And we have Pat Thorman uh, exclusive to establish the run projecting snaps and pace. Uh, which I think is still a, a kind of an under or overlooked aspect of doing fantasy prognostication. Volume is king in this business, and that's one of the reasons why I love Deshaun Watson this year. He wins in all phases, and he is going to break fantasy football. I do, I do. And even after the loss of Kiki QT, still have Deshaun Watson actually as my number one overall fantasy quarterback. Um, Deshaun Watson. There it is as a rookie, actually scored more fantasy points per game than Patrick Mahomes did 
uh, last season. Of course, it was in a smaller sample size. But if you look at Patrick Mahomes, he started off really, really hot. And he kind of came back down to earth over the last six games. Some regression hit him. And we're going to see some regression hit him uh, probably a little. You know, he's probably going to throw 39 touchdowns this year instead of 50. Uh, but the big difference maker for Deshaun Watson is Will Fuller, uh, who has practiced without limitation since the beginning of training camp, a 4-3-2 burner who spaces the field, makes a difference even without the ball in his hands. Deshaun Watson over the last two seasons has averaged 7.2 more fantasy points per game and one and a half more yards per pass attempt when Will Fuller has been in the lineup. And the schedule shift going from facing the easiest schedule in the NFL, according to uh, opponent win totals, which turned out to be the easiest schedule in the NFL uh, at the end of the day, to this year's toughest opponent win totals-based schedule is a big deal for Deshaun Watson. In his career, Deshaun Watson has averaged uh, 8.7 yards per pass attempt when he has played from behind, only 7.4 when he has played with a lead, and his yards per carry elevate from 4.8 to 6.2. I think he's a guy that kind of thrives in urgent situations when he's playing in chaos uh, because he is so good playing off script. So I think even when you watch him play, you know, it's kind of intuitive and it should, it should kind of ring a bell that he's better playing from behind. It's counterintuitive, but a difficult schedule works in favor of quarterback fantasy points because it ensures that Deshaun Watson will need to throw the ball for his team to be competitive. And if the Texans are playing a bunch of quality teams, then he will necessarily be in comeback mode for a lot of second halves throughout the season. And Deshaun Watson is that rare creature, prolific in both the run game and the pass game. He sits in the center of that Venn diagram where you want the prolific passer like Patrick Mahomes and you want the prolific runner like Lamar Jackson. What if I told you, you don't have to choose? You can have both, and his name is Deshaun Watson, and he might drop back 650 times this season. And that's the reason why I selected him as the second quarterback off the board in the Apex Expert League that you and I participated in together, and you sniped me multiple times in that league. Heartbreaking. You drafted a hell of a team, so I need to know, what do you think of my team? Well, I like the Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins stack. You know, that, that's got all kinds of upside here. And, you know, from that standpoint, it doesn't hurt that Kiki QT may, may miss some time because that could help DeAndre Hopkins, even if it's, you know, averaging 0.7 more targets per game, um, that, that could really help. We never like to see players hurt, ever, 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 ever. And hope Kiki QT comes back soon. Stay healthy, stay safe, Kiki. Hope you're fine to start the season. I really do. I really do. Speedy, speedy recovery. Very speedy. Don't delay. And there have not yet been any indications that Kiki QT is going to miss week one. I mean, I think it's on the table at this point. But uh, getting back to your team, um, you're counting beyond that, you know, beyond that Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins stack, you're counting on uh, a lot of breakouts at receiver. And we know that some of these breakout candidates just aren't going to happen. Um, but you're you're looking at Christian Kirk and DJ Moore uh, and then probably Cortland Sutton, I think, as your wide receiver four. Um, I, I liked your approach you know, theoretically uh, taking Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon in the second and third round and how you were willing to embrace risk. But, you know, that w it was a lot of risk to embrace. I mean, it's a high variance team, which I think is fine. You know exactly what you were getting yourself into. It's a high variance fantasy league. 
You're swimming with sharks. You need to come in with the biggest harpoon you could possibly muster. And Gordon and Gurley in the second and third is maximum firepower. And I pushed all my chips into the middle of the table on sophomore breakout candidate wide receivers. I also drafted Trey Quan Smith. Also drafted Trey Quinn. Trey Trey. A lot of upside in that wide receiver core, Evan. And by hoarding all those sophomore wide receivers, I'm ensuring at least a couple breakouts. That's the math. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that that makes perfect sense. I mean, again, a very high variance team. You're you're going to finish in you know first or second or like eleventh or twelfth, I think. And you know, I, I think it's it's totally you're trying to finish in first. You know, you're trying to win the points. You know, you're you're trying to score more points than anybody. You're trying to finish in first in the win loss as well. Uh, you want to get that first round by heading into the playoffs uh, because that increases you know that increases your chances of getting to the championship. You know, my dad always said, if you ain't first, you're last. Well, Dak, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a I'm just a big, hairy American winning machine. If you ain't first, you're last. You know what I'm talking about? That phrase is trademarked not to be used as a tradition to Ricky Bobby. But you see Ezekiel Elliott now being selected at the back half of the first round, Melvin Gordon, the end of the second. Todd Gurley leaking into the third round of those three maximum risk reward running backs. Who you got? You know, we're playing a guessing game here with all these guys, Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon. One of the reasons why you're on the show is because it is unanimous. Industry consensus is that in the fantasy football game, no one understands the sport of football better than you. You have totally absorbed yourself into this sport. So some of your knowledge is just based on osmosis. It just seeps into your pores. And for that reason, we trust your instincts. So when you close your eyes, what does your gut tell you? I want to hear from Evan Silva's gut. Yes, and my instincts say that Ezekiel Elliott is the likeliest of these guys to be good to go in week one. Um, Of course, every day that the holdout extends, he gets a little bit riskier, you know. And Tony Pollard, this is part of being Bayesian, Tony Pollard should kind of be inching up our draft boards a little bit more every day. I think that Melvin Gordon is the likeliest to actually miss a significant chunk of the season. And therefore, Austin Eckler becomes more and Justin Jackson become more interesting every day. And then I think that due to injury, Todd Gurley is the likeliest of them to miss time uh, due to a health problem. And Again, you know, and we, we've talked about it ad nauseum, the fact that the Rams matched the restricted free agent offer sheet to Malcolm Brown, the fact that they traded up for Daryl Henderson. You know, these are red flags on Todd Gurley. Also, that they lost two of their significant uh, interior offensive linemen, their starting center, and their starting left guard, Roger Saffold. Huge. Roger Saffold's one of the best run blockers in the league. And they're replacing these guys with Brian Allen and Joseph Noteboom, who have combined for 110 career snaps. Stop it. Stop. (laughs) You pulled those names. And those men do not sound like football players. Now, what's your general strategy when you attack a fantasy draft? So I really don't go into any specific draft with one specific strategy. But I think my plan for what I'm going to do is always dictated by where in the draft I am slotted to pick in the first round. If I'm drafting within the top five picks, I'm going to take a bell cow running back. If I'm drafting 
in the, the latter half of the first round, I'm much likelier to employ a receiver heavy or, you know, take tra a Travis Kelsey or um, even goes, you know, implement zero RB based on how the draft itself unfolds. Um, certainly very willing to start off like in, a, um, in an FFPC draft, for instance, with four straight pass catchers and then start hammering running backs from like rounds, you know, five through eight. Um, but it's very much determined on wh what draft slot I receive uh, because I'm not going to pass on those bell cow running backs within the top five picks. After round four, it seems you don't want to leave a draft without Miles Sanders. And I don't want to leave drafts without Miles Sanders. And in this Apex League, you swooped in like a boss and you sniped me on Miles Sanders. And it hurt my feelings. I was expecting to get him and you destroyed that dream. You're not worried about a committee with Jordan Howard and Darren Sproles? Well, I must admit that where I, you know, where I was in that draft, I thought he was the best pick available. But when I saw that you were coming up in three picks, that gave me an added extra incentive to push the button on league winner Miles Sanders. Ah! He is going to be a league winner. He's an explosive all-purpose primary back on the Philadelphia Eagles, for Christ's sake. If you are a key component of that offense, you're going to score so many fantasy points because that offense is going to be so good. You agree? They're loaded. Absolutely. I mean, they, they are so loaded on the offensive line that their first-round pick, first pick, who they traded up for, isn't even going to start. Um, and they're so deep at the receiver. And, I mean, they have the deepest receiver and tight end positions in the league. They're going to live in the red zone. You know, Jay Ajayi averaged 14 and a half touches per game over his final 10 games with the Eagles. Do you think that Miles Sanders can't get to 14 and a half touches per game? Do you think that he can't get more touches per game than Jay Ajayi did? I think he can. Think about this roster that Howie Roseman has built. He's a top three general manager in the league. He absolutely is. I mean, I think he's top two. Who is your top three? Well, I mean, I'd have to do a ranking, but I, I do think that Bill Belichick is number one and that Howie Roseman is number two. Bill Belichick is the best tactician, but best general manager? Come on. Yeah, I mean, this is a topic for another time. We could do an entire podcast on this, but... <sighs> All right. You have Belichick, you have Roseman, and you have Ballard. Bingo. Sure. Chris Ballard, great pick for number three. Now, what about Karrion Johnson? He's leaking into the late second round now. What is his downside? Yeah, I mean, the downside with Kerryon Johnson is first that just that he gets hurt, you know. But, I mean, that's the case for any running back. Last year, of course, he did get hurt just as he was really heating up and kind of starting to come into his own. He was, the top, he was a top 15 running back when he got hurt, and he missed the final six games uh, with a knee injury. But he's been healthy throughout training camp. The downside is just that the Lions' offense is terrible. And I think that that isn't out of the question based on Matt Patricia and Daryl Bevel's, you know, background, their run first philosophy. And then, you know, you can envision a scenario where he like gets five touchdowns vultured by CJ Anderson and maybe Ty Johnson takes on some of Theo Riddick's role. Breather back, Ty Johnson. I'm, I'm big on, on carry on Johnson. I have him as a top 12 fantasy running back. I took him in this apex league that we've been talking about. But there are definitely scenarios where he doesn't beat his ADP. Amari Cooper, is he poised for a monster year? Foot injuries are scary. Well, this foot injury is definitely something to monitor. I don't think that Doc, I don't think that Dr. Shaw has put any information out on it yet. Uh, but that's something that I'll be looking for 
Um, I really, really like him if he's healthy. Uh, he played in 11 games, including the playoffs for the Cowboys last year. If you extrapolate his receiving statistics from 11 games to 16 last year, he had 96 catches for 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns. Um, the Cowboys have one of the easiest pass defense schedules in the league, especially early in the year. They start off with the Giants. The Giants to start the year. All the Dak Prescott and DFS, am I right? And don't forget about Michael Gallup and GPPs. Stack them up. Yes, Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, and DFS. Uh, week week two, Redskins. Uh, nothing particularly imposing about them. I mean, I think that he can run right by Josh uh, Norman, and Josh Norman doesn't shadow anyways. Week three, uh, Dolphins. Oh. Uh, and they're going to be really – because they don't have any pass rush whatsoever. They do have one good corner in Xavier Howard. But, you know, Xavier Howard really doesn't scare me. Um, the Saints are a tough matchup in week four, but that also could easily be a shootout. And then the Packers, they've underwhelmed in terms of their secondary play, and that also could be a shootout. And then the Jets, who have a brutal secondary in week six. Wow. Wow. It's going to be tempting to go Matthew Stafford against the Cardinals in week one. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a trap. Go Dak Prescott against the Giants. Love it. But you can't draft Amari Cooper in fantasy football if this injury continues to linger throughout preseason. I just don't draft injured players, but it often takes fantasy gamers a while before they come to terms with these injuries. A.J. Green gets hurt. He's still being drafted in the fifth round. And then it's not for a couple weeks until you finally start seeing him in the seventh and the eighth round where he belongs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, there are plenty of cases where teams are just being overly cautious or, you know, taking as many steps because they know how unimportant playing in preseason games is for these starters and how important having them on the field in week one is. Um, with A.J. Green, I mean, look, I think there's a certain point in the draft where I'm willing to take him, but it's always multiple rounds after he actually goes. You're more likely to take Tyler Boyd. You selected him over Calvin Ridley in Apex. Yeah, that I mean, I think that's a pretty easy uh, selection. I, are, are you? Well, I know that uh, Calvin Ridley is your and uh, and Draft Sheet's favorite player. As part of my quest to cure Take Lock, I have reassessed Calvin Ridley. His true freshman season at Alabama was special. Even though he was an old freshman, it was his true freshman year at Alabama where he shredded. Sometimes life gets in the way and you're not able to start college at the same time as your peers. Okay, I'm done holding that against Calvin Ridley because he performed well last year. It was one of the better rookie seasons for a wide receiver we've seen in some time. 821 yards, including 356 yards after the catch was top 20 in the NFL. So yes, he scored 6.4 touchdowns over expectation. So that's not going to repeat itself. But I believe... But I believe based on a variety of metrics, including a hog rate, 14.6 hog rate is targets per snap. He only logged a 65% snap share last year because he wasn't a starter. It was Mohamed Sanu. But when he was on the field, he was targeted. And when he was targeted, he caught the ball. And when he caught the ball, he then turned up field and gobbled up yards after the catch. And then he went and scored some touchdowns. So this is a player you have to like if he's going to be featured on a prolific NFC South team. If there's a tiebreaker between Tyler Boyd and Calvin Ridley, it's the NFC South. But the beauty is for Tyler Boyd, even if it's a difficult schedule and we don't project the Bengals to win many games this year, that's okay. You want wide receivers on teams playing from behind 
and eating up garbage time. And Tyler Boyd was a fantastic prospect. Yeah, it's, it's good for Tyler Boyd playing in the slot, running high percentage routes. And when the offensive line can't pass protect, that means more hot reads and more targets for the slot receiver and the tight end. And the starting tight end projects to be Tyler Eifert. He's been healthy throughout camp and preseason, and he's squarely on your radar in the late rounds, right? Probably. I mean, he's a guy who's going to benefit from A.J. Green being out. He's always been a touchdown scorer. I like the strategy of taking Tyler Eifert and Chris Herndon super late and using Tyler Eifert as the tide-me-over until Chris Herndon comes back in week six. 3D chess, late-round tight end from Evan Silva. I love it because both have tight end one upside. And Chris Herndon's ADP is like tight end 18, and Tyler Eifert's uh, ADP is like tight end 25. I mean, you could get Tyler Eifert very often in like the second to last round of your draft. Chris Herndon, over 500 yards as a rookie with the youngest quarterback in NFL history. He's not just trending toward being a good tight end. He's trending toward being a great tight end. And I think the same is true for Sam Darnold. Best QBR in the sport in the month of December. Was surging at the end of his rookie year. Looks great in preseason. Just need to get it over with, right? Sam Darnold's good. Yeah, and Adam Levitan has been charting the first team snaps so far in preseason. Sam Darnold has been on the field for 24 snaps so far. Chris Herndon has been on the field with him on 23 of those snaps. So Chris Herndon is looking like an, a true every down player this year. He was kind of you know limited. They would use Eric Tomlinson some last year. Uh, but Chris Herndon is going to be like, they're going to run a lot of 11 personnel. It's going to be Robbie Anderson, Quincy Anunua, Jamison Crowder at receiver, and Chris Herndon as the lone tight end. He outproduced Ahmad Richard at Miami, got injured, couldn't reach peak performance during the pre-draft process, then fell to the fourth round, and the Jets got a steal. Baller. Your former colleague, Patrick Doherty, joined me on the program earlier. And I chastise him for taking Mark Ingram over a running back, a running back that we've been targeting this offseason, Marlon Mack. What do you have to say to Patrick Doherty about Ingram over Mack? Yeah, I mean, I don't Oh, the pause, Pat! Oh, Pat! I, I get, I, I get the, the logic of just drafting... Um, you know, the, the lead back on what we project as the run heaviest team in the NFL, but you're also not accounting for the fact that Lamar Jackson is going to handle a ton of those rushing attempts. Number one, number two, Lamar Jackson, despite not even starting for half of the year last year, uh, had the eighth most red zone carries in the NFL. He's going to be a threat to vulture touchdowns from Mark Ingram. You're not accounting for the fact that Lamar Jackson is not going to throw the ball to his running backs very often because he's going to take off and scramble in those situations. We've seen that time and time again. When he came into the lineup last year, their running backs went from averaging uh, eight targets per game to averaging 3.6 targets per game just as a position group. And you're not factoring in the fact that Justice Hill is a baller. And Gus Edwards is also going to be involved in this backfield. Um, so I think that the upside is really limited on Mark Ingram and the upside on Marlon Mack, assuming that Andrew Luck is healthy. And I do believe he's going to be out there week one. The upside is much stronger for Marlon Mack. The Colts bring back all five offensive line starters after finishing top four in football outsiders, adjusted line yards and tackle for loss rate allowed uh, over the course of their final four games. They started to use Marlon Mack more in the passing game than Naheem Hines. Marlon Mack's routes run per game 
uh, went from 13.5 to 23.3 over the final four games. And we remember that Marlon Mack was a significant contributor in the passing game at USF. That was one of the reasons that we liked him coming out of college. Absolutely. A true all-purpose college running back. Yeah, they would line up at they would line him up at wide receiver at USF. And that's one of the reasons that we were both higher on Marlon Mack than consensus when he was coming out of college. The film grinders need to make up their mind about Marlon Mack. In his first year, too much of a finesse back. Right? Looks like a satellite back. Then last year, oh, he's too one-dimensional. He's just a between the tackles grinder. Well, is he a runner or a slasher? Or perhaps both. We need to be prepared for the outcome that he is everything, that Marlon Mack can do it all. Now, we talked about Sam Darnold earlier. My one concern with Sam Darnold is the early season schedule. A lot of tough pass defenses, and for Robbie Anderson in particular, an absolutely brutal set of cornerback matchups early. Are you concerned about how Robbie Anderson's first half shapes up? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's not ideal. I mean, whoa. It's, it's, it's pretty difficult. Um, but, I mean, look, Robbie Anderson like, can beat any corner uh, with speed. Uh, it's the, the, bigger, the bigger concern for Robbie Anderson, regardless of his schedule, is going to be how many targets that he gets. Because now this offense is loaded. When he was going off last year in the final month of the season – you know, all the only other viable pass catcher that they had was Chris Herndon. First of all, you can't say this offense is loaded. Even with Chris Herndon active, this offense is definitively not loaded. Come on, Silva. I think that Jamison Crowder is an above average slot receiver. You have a big time field stretcher in Robbie Anderson. You have, you know, theoretically like a top five talent at the running back position in, in Le'Veon Bell. Um, you know, you have, you have a, a, a guy that we agree is going to be an ascendant second year quarterback in Sam Darnold and Quincy Anunua, you've loved him forever. Quincy Anunua and Jamison Crowder are quality possession receivers and Robbie Anderson is a quality field stretcher. One of the better deep ball playmakers in the league, but this team lacks a true alpha in the passing game. They don't have a prototypical X receiver. And without a true alpha in the passing game, you can't call it loaded because it's just not loaded. It's loaded in comparison to the situation that Robbie Anderson capitalized on in the final month of last season. That's a fact. I can't even recall the other receivers he shared a field with. Jermaine Curse, maybe? Uh, he was banged up at the time. Deontay Burnett, Sharon <laughs> Peak. <laughs> this is why all production needs to be put in context. Take Evan Ingram. He's going to be competing with exactly nobody to start the season. Start your engines on Evan Ingram. Oh, you know, I heard that uh, somewhere that I, I was arbitraged, arbitraged uh, in our Apex draft. That's right. David Njoku looks a lot like Evan Ingram, except he has more target competition on a much better offense. So he projects to catch less passes, but score more touchdowns. And his ceiling is higher on the Browns offense and the fact that he's just as athletic as Evan Ingram, but 15 pounds heavier. So he has the potential to develop into a proper two-way tight end this season, where Evan Ingram is a move tight end. And on that show, I used your own wow factor stat against you. David Njoku's 11.3 yards after the catch per reception at the college level. Simply mind-blowing. Yeah, I understand. I just, when I was listening to the show, I, I started to wonder if I was listening to a finance podcast or was this a fantasy football podcast? Oh, the criticism of the term arbitrage. 
my hobby horse topic that there are too many finance terms used in fantasy football boomeranged right back at me by Evan Silva. But yeah, with, with Evan Ingram, I think he's a classic third-year breakout candidate, 93rd percentile spark athlete, 100 percentile speed score per playerprofiler.com. So athletic. Number six among 30 qualified tight ends in yards per route run last year despite playing through injuries. Uh, over the last decade, there are only four tight ends that have had more receiving yards in their first two NFL seasons than Evan Ingram. Okay, Over the last decade, there are only four tight ends to have more receiving yards than Evan Ingram in their first two NFL seasons. George Kittle, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, Aaron Hernandez. That's pretty good company uh, with the exception of Aaron Hernandez off-field issues. Uh, for for Evan Ingram. Add in the Golden Tate suspension. You have the Sterling Shepard hand injury, the Giants' emphasis on short to medium range passing. I think that Evan Ingram sees about 30 more targets this year than David Njoku. I live for those moments when Evan Silva starts with the premise in the last decade. We all live for those moments. Evan Ingram is the de facto number one option in his offense, but it's the Giants' offense. So doesn't that just make him a more athletic, much more expensive version of Jordan Reed? Uh, to some extent, Jordan, yeah. I mean, and, and neither of them is in prolific offenses, you know, and that's, that's the biggest concern. You know, we were talking earlier about Tyler Boyd versus Calvin Ridley. The one big advantage that Calvin Ridley has on Tyler Boyd is our expectations of how many points the team is going to score, you know, and that's where you can make the argument of David Njoku being either an arbitrage play or just being a potentially superior play than Evan Ingram in fantasy football. Jordan Reed has, you know, like he played 13 games last year. That was really good for him. You know, so and Evan Ingram has been banged up a little bit, but he doesn't have this track record of, you know, having seven documented concussions seven. like Jordan Reed has. You know, he yeah. Um, and, you know, so I think that the, the Redskins are just really going to struggle to score points. That is a concern with Evan Ingram, but I also think that Evan Ingram is a much better athlete at this stage of their careers than Jordan Reed is. But I do like Jordan Reed, again, as one of those guys that you could use to paper over to get yourself to Chris Herndon in week six. It's the bridge to Herndon. We just need to get to Chris Herndon. Now, we talked earlier about Deshaun Watson, Evan Silver's number one ranked quarterback heading into 2019 does that difficult texan schedule also help duke johnson in a satellite back role yes it does in addition to the injury to kiki qt i mean that's really how the texans are going to be able to overcome the kiki qt injury is because they acquired duke johnson you that kind of like that they kind of killed two birds with one stone by by acquiring duke johnson you get a much more explosive option than lamar miller a much more versatile option in the backfield than Lamar Miller, and you also get a guy who can be dynamic as a slot receiver. Um, so I, you know, I, I kind of agree with people say, that say that the Texans kind of overpaid a little bit for Duke Johnson, uh, giving up what will likely be a late third-round pick. Duke Johnson was a third-round pick, but you don't get the benefit of that rookie contract now. Exactly, you don't get his rookie contract. That, that's a, that's an issue. Uh, but he, I think he's going to help this offense. I have him higher in, in season long than Lamar Miller. I would rather have Duke Johnson on my team than Lamar Miller. I think that Lamar Miller is a low floor, low upside play. And Duke Johnson is a relatively high floor and high upside play. And I much prefer the latter. High floor, high upside. Does that also describe Marquez Valdez-Scantling in Green Bay? 
No, I think he's got a low floor. I, you know, there have been... What? I've heard he's the locked-in number two option in that passing game. No? You hear different things every day. Um, you, you hear some, like, whispers that Jake Kumaro could challenge for his job on the outside with Geronimo Allison staying in the slot. I think that Marcus Valdez-Scantling is largely a boom-bust play this year. Partly because he's not going to play slot. In the last preseason game, Geronimo Allison hogged all the slot snaps. So that right. means Marquez Valdez-Scantling will be competing with Devontae Adams for outside targets. And you can safely project Allison to out-target MVS, even if MVS ultimately has more yards and scores more fantasy points. And it's a little disappointing because MVS did play a lot of slot last year. We all want Marquez Valdez-Scantling in the slot, but that's just not going to happen. Yeah, and Geronimo Allison just, it's, he, he's like, so Matt LaFleur, their new coach, is a former Falcons assistant. The first, one of the first things that he did when he went into, uh, you know, meet the team and they were, you know, doing install during OTAs and minicamp is he was showing the Packers highlights of that 2016 Falcons offense with just rip, ripped up the league, you know, so, and I think that that's clearly the offense that he wants to pattern. Green Bay after and Muhammad Sanu and Geronimo Allison have a lot of similarities, you know, not fast guys, kind of taller, lanky guys, you know, pretty good hands. Um, and Geronimo Allison, I know he doesn't check a lot of boxes, you know, like from a, a profile standpoint, but through, but through the first four games of last season was on pace for like 1150 receiving yards. He's a guy that, that Aaron Rodgers trusts. And I think that the trust with Marcus Valdez-Scantling is still just a little bit more up in the air. It's sad but true. We're fantasy-wanting MVS into existence, but the targets will more likely funnel to Geronimo Allison, much to player profiler chagrin. And few players have ever looked better on player profiler than Jarek McKinnon. And Jarek McKinnon has suffered a setback, and he's not going to be ready for week one, and that's a shame. But on the other hand, that also means... More touches for Matt Breida, and that's a good thing because Breida also pops on playerprofiler.com. Yeah, Matt Breida, uh, I think, is the biggest beneficiary of Jarek McKinnon's setback. The, the beat writers think that uh, Jarek McKinnon is probably going to open the season on IR, uh, which would knock him out till midseason. Um, I gave Matt Breida the biggest bump. I had him RB45 and then moved him up to like RB34. Um, didn't even move Tevin Coleman. Uh, I think that Tevin Coleman's role is kind of set. I think he's the favorite to lead the team in touches, but I don't think he's going to be a workhorse running back. And Matt Breida, last year, despite playing on a high ankle sprain and through a dislocated shoulder, he uh, went over 1,000 yards from scrimmage. He averaged over five yards per carry. He's a better receiving back, I think, than Tevin Coleman. Uh, and that's really where the Jarek McKinnon injury comes into play because Jarek McKinnon was clearly – the best passing game option in that backfield. And it narrows the backfield from three to two. And that's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Uh, because I think that Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida every week are going to be flex options. And a great stat from Rich Rebar, he, he may have uh, dropped it on your show earlier this offseason. Um, last year, the 49ers, despite not being a very good team, losing their quarterback early in the season, their backfield as a unit finished top five in the NFL in yards from scrimmage. So I, I know we, you know, we don't do coaching narratives on this show, but 
I think that they are going to maintain a productive running game. They bring back all five starters on the offensive line. They were top 10 in adjusted line yards for run blocking at Football Outsiders this past season. We just narrowed the backfield from three to two. We just upped Matt Breida's receiving expectation. And Matt Breida is a guy to absolutely target right now. We don't worship coaches, but with Kyle Shanahan, we have to acknowledge that he is an above average offensive mind in the NFL, but he doesn't scheme players into existence. Julio Jones was good before Kyle Shanahan arrived, but Shanahan does a great job self-scouting the roster, analyzing each player's specific skills and putting them in a position to thrive. Just look at how he handled Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman in Atlanta. Now, who are the 49ers wide receivers? Because it seems to change daily. Yeah, I still think that Dante Pettis is probably a starter. I think that they want Debo Samuel to be a starter, and I don't think that he's disappointed so far. And then the, and Trent Taylor is out of the picture. He was going to be their starting slot receiver. Yeah. Um, Jones fracture out indefinitely. Where does the term Jones fracture come from? Julio Jones? Um, uh, no, at slot receiver, it's going to come down to Jalen Hurd versus, um, versus uh, Richie James at this point. And then uh, where is Marquise Goodwin going to fit into the mix? I, they clearly want to scale back Marquise Goodwin. That's been a focal point of the offseason. Marquise Goodwin uh, wants to compete in the 2020 Olympics. You know, they have, he, they have not, uh, he has not been a, a durable player that they can rely on. They don't want to rely on him as anything more than a situational deep threat. And they use a lot of two receiver sets because they use a fullback. You know, they use Kyle Juszczyk a ton. So really we're, we're talking about Two to three guys. You know, this is not like an, an offense where, where they are going to lead the league in 11 personnel or, or even finish in the top half. They're going to definitely finish in the, in the bottom half. Um, so, but I, I think that right now it's still the expectation is still Dante Pettis and Debo Samuel as the one and the two. Wow. Debo Samuel logging a higher snap share than Marquise Goodwin when both are healthy this season? I, I think that that's how the 49ers want it. Absolutely. I mean, some of the beat writers have even talked about that Marquise Goodwin might not make the 53. I think that he's I think he's clearly going to make the 53 now that they lost Trent Taylor and that they've had some disappointment uh, higher up on the depth chart, but I mean they, you know, it's it's real clear that they don't want to use Marquise Goodwin as an, anything close to an every snap receiver. Feel free to dismiss any of the Podfather's previous touting of Marquise Goodwin. Now, your touting of Josh Gordon was prescient. I know you're excited. Talk to us about Josh Gordon. Well, first of all, let's just look at how the Patriots have operated this offseason with anything having to do with Josh Gordon. He was tendered as a restricted free agent. He signed the tender. It's worth a little bit over $2 million, signed it in April, spent much of the offseason working out with Tom Brady. And then uh, before their preseason opener, the Patriots assigned number 10, Josh Gordon's number, to Nikhil Harry. And then Nikhil Harry showed up to the game wearing number eight. So they pulled back the number 10, saving it for Josh Gordon. And uh, Nikhil Harry ended up in, in the number eight. And I just don't think that people understand how freaking good Josh Gordon was. I mean, he only has the best wide receiver season of all time on his resume. Over 1,600 yards in 14 games with Brandon Whedon, Brian Hoyer, and Jason Campbell. But last year I'm talking about. Just saying. 
Yes. He led the Patriots in yards per target at 10.6. He led the Patriots in yards per catch at, at uh, 18. He ranked 14th among 96 qualified receivers in yards per route run. He was number seven among 125 receivers in yards after catch per reception. Um, and I, I look, he's got a floor of 16 zeros. We, we understand that. He did all that on the fly. You know, he was traded in season. He didn't have a training camp or anything. He just jumped right in and was productive. He's actually done that multiple times before. It's crazy. You know, when he'll suddenly get reinstated for a few games, he'll jump right in, crush, and then he'll get suspended again. And the NFL has made an active attempt to go a little bit easier on marijuana stuff. Josh Gordon was ahead of his time, especially when it comes to marijuana. If he were born 10 years later, the roles would be reversed, literally. Other than Josh Gordon, who's been the best value in fantasy drafts this season? I gave him Miles Sanders, bro. It's all about Miles Sanders, baby. So you went on Adam Schefter's show, his podcast on ESPN. You were joined by Adam Levitan. You guys killed it. Did Adam Schefter give you any news-breaking nuggets that you think are actionable, perhaps even off-air? Well, the best insider nugget that he gave, and we recorded it the day of that first preseason slate. It was 11 games. And yeah, yeah. And his off-air recommendation was that we played Jacoby Myers in preseason DFS in that first 11-game slate. And I was like, no, we've got to play Preston Williams. Yeah. we got to play Preston Williams. And Preston Williams wound up doing fine. He had four for 97. But Jacoby Myers had six for 69 and two. <laughs> Yeah, Schefter plays Jacoby Myers. Ian Rappaport plays Preston Williams. He wants to be Schefter so bad, and he's so not. <laughs> you needed Jacoby Myers, and he had that info. But I, I really haven't moved. But but I really haven't moved anyone in my rankings or tiers or anything just based on one singular Adam Schefter nugget. You know, it, it takes more than that. Schefter nuggets can be a piece of the puzzle for sure. They are a piece of the puzzle. Um, but I don't really go around, you know, making any changes. Uh, based on what Adam Schefter says, you know, unless it's like an injury report or something. Well, Schefter likes Royce Freeman. He used to cover the Broncos. If there's any organization that Adam Schefter knows, it's the Denver Broncos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that right now anyone covering the team likes Royce Freeman. Their offensive coordinator really likes Royce Freeman. The only people that don't like Royce Freeman are the people that don't understand that Royce Freeman suffered a high ankle sprain last year and played through it. And people just think that, Oh, you know, Philip Lindsay obviously is better. That's not necessarily the case. Royce Freeman averaged over a yard per contact more per rushing attempt than Philip Lindsay did last year. He was one of the best running backs in the NFL uh, at closing out games. Uh, and he's a better receiver than people give him credit for. He had what, like 75 receptions at, at Oregon. Um, and he was, and Philip Lindsay's 184 pounds. Look, I love Philip Lindsay, okay? But ultimately, he's more likely to be a role player than a feature back based on the fact that he's 184 pounds. And Rich Scangarello, their new OC, even talked about this, compared him to Tevin Coleman. I think that's a very, very fair comparison. I like that comp. He's like a little Tevin Coleman in a good way. If you watch them stylistically, Philip Lindsay is like a straight line burner. That's what Tevin Coleman is. I think that Philip Lindsay is a better receiver than Tevin Coleman. Uh, but but he's a straight line burner. And I think that Royce Freeman is going to get more carries this year than Philip Lindsay will. Here's how lucky Philip Lindsay was last year. Same offensive line. Royce Freeman's run blocking efficiency finished outside the top 40. Philip Lindsay inside the top five. How well your teammates block is not a skill. That tells 
the story. Well, the, the reason that that happened is because Philip Lindsay ran against uh, eight-man boxes on only 14 of his rushing attempts, or eight or more boxes, and then Royce Freeman faced like a top three rate of eight-man boxes. So, you know, if, if, that can, if that can even off a lot, like if that can, you know, they can bring that together. And I mean, the, what dictates eight men or more in the box is, you know, by far just the, the biggest factor that dictates eight or more men in the box by far is just the formation, you know, the formation of the offense and how the defense reacts to that. And last year there was a massive disparity. And that, of course, trickled down into the run blocking because it is easier to rock. It's easier to block against defenses that have that, you know, against light boxes than it is against defenses that are geared up to stop you specifically. My issue is I don't like the Broncos. I believe this roster is set up to fail, especially with Joe Flacco under center. Do you have a particular NFL team that you refuse to target to stay away team for you? Probably the Redskins, uh, with the exception of Jordan Reed, very late, and Trey Quinn, very, very late. Um, you know, first of all, you got this Trent Williams situation. He's probably their best player on offense, and he's so good. He's not going to play for them. Like that, he is not going to play for them. The trust is broken. It's a Kawhi Leonard situation. They are probably going to start Dwayne Haskins, who I do like long term. But he is not a quarterback with great mobility. If, and if you look at the quarterbacks that have had rookie year success, by and large, they are mobile quarterbacks. You know, it is Dak Prescott. It is Russell Wilson. It is Cam Newton. You know, even Josh Allen down the stretch last year uh, had a lot of fantasy success. And then if you look at the pocket passers in year one, historically, they have not had as good of uh, first year uh, seasons. You know, Carson Wentz wasn't that great as a rookie. He was kind of good early in the season. He was really below average the rest of the way. Jared Goff struggled as a rookie. Josh Rosen struggled as a rookie. Jared was goffle. Sam Darnold was very up and down, you know, even though he finished fast and we expect that year two leap. And Dwayne Haskins very well may make that year two leap. Absolutely. I would almost expect him to, you know, two years out, but I don't expect him to have rookie year success. Evans. Jared was goffle. You get it? You get it? Yeah, you 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 said that before. You you said that to me before. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good one, okay. you know. Fair enough. So we talk about pounding wide receiver in the late first round at the turn. It's difficult to choose between Julio Jones and Michael Thomas and Odell Beckham and Juju Smith-Schuster. Matthew Barry wants all the Odell Beckham for that high ceiling. Others want Michael Thomas for the high floor. Can you make a case that Mike Evans belongs in that group? Oh, yeah. I mean, no question. No question. And you have this vendetta against Mike Evans. That's right. That's right. That's one of the great compilers in NFL history. And you, yeah, you're, you're pushing this. Here's the thing. He's not going to stop compiling. Okay. I, I, yes, it's, it's fair. It's absolutely fair. <laughs> and he's still tw only 26 years old. He actually turns uh, 26 in five days from when we're recording this. Um, he's all, he's also coming off the most efficient season of his career in a season where the Bucks juggled their quarterbacks, his yards per target at 11 were a career high catch rate was a career high yards per catch were a career high. His 8.6 targets per game last year were the second fewest of his career. And he finished number eight out of 96 qualified receivers and yards per route run. So he was not a compiler this past season in his eight. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. 
Mike Evans did not do that Mike Evans compiling thing in 2018. Maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe, unfortunately, that take lock immunity of mine has worn off. I think that him finish and TJ Hernandez, who's excellent, and you've obviously had him on the show multiple times, he had a tweet the other day about that he thought that Mike Evans could finish as the number one overall fantasy receiver this year. Oh, come on. And I think it's very much within his range of potential outcomes. We're going to see this team throw the heck out of the ball again. The, the, you know, as we've talked about ad nauseum, the passing game distribution has been narrowed. And you know, I think the efficiency and the volume can come together for this, uh, this season for Mike Evans. And although he has been a compiler to some extent, he's not going to stop compiling. And uh, I think he can be efficient this season. I am biased against wide receivers that look like Mike Evans. I prefer the aesthetically pleasing wide receivers like a Stephon Diggs, like a Keenan Allen. I want my wide receivers to look smooth, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to score more fantasy points, unfortunately. But Keenan Allen is still in his prime on a high-octane offense, and yet his ADP went from second round in 2018 to third round in 2019, despite him being the same guy. Can you explain that? Uh, they are, you know, I think people anticipate a leap from Mike Evan or Mike Williams, um, and then uh, Hunter Henry is back, so that's somewhat concerning. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot of slot out of Keenan Allen this year, like more than usual. He was only about 45%, 55% slot last year. But you have Mike Williams and Travis Benjamin as the outside receivers. Uh, Tyrell Williams actually played a decent amount of slot, uh, but we're pulling him out of the offense. And Keenan Allen as the clear slot receiver, I think that if Melvin Gordon does miss time, that could potentially help Keenan Allen a little bit. Although I think that Austin Eckler is very, very underrated, especially among the public. I mean, there's people focus on this like two or three game sample last year of Austin Eckler when Melvin Gordon was out, like basing their entire analysis off what he did in a two or three game sample. One of which was in this London game where the Titans ran like 44 offensive plays and Austin Eckler didn't really do much. And then Austin Eckler, one of the games, he did really, really well. The mantra is zoom out, don't zoom in. And when you zoom out, you realize a player like Austin Eckler is really good. He's good at football and he's good at fantasy football. The only thing limiting Austin Eckler is his size, similar to Matt Breida. They're super athletic and they win in all phases, but they're only 200 pounds. Bottom line, these are satellite back plus backs who are valuable in both real football and fantasy football. And being good matters. And Austin Eckler has been good since college, and he's been excellent ever since he came into the NFL. You know, I mean, he, he has shined at every opportunity except for like two, um, you know, specific games and people just love to cling on to. Anyways, the biggest concern for Keenan Allen right now is this knee injury. Um, and that's going to be a situation that we're just going to have to keep tabs on. Another injured wide receiver, for fuck's sake. Damn you, football gods, making our lives more difficult. Have to update the cheat sheet on the world-famous draft kit more frequently. Making us do real work. Shame on you. Now, Kirk Cousins. Went well over 600 pass attempts last year, but this year, he's got a defensive head coach who went out and hired a conservative play caller to run the offense. Are you worried about the pass volume in Minnesota? It's like exactly what they want to be. I mean, they, they fired the pass-heavy OC John D. Filippo last year. Uh, they went run heavy in the final three games. 
like under 30 pass attempts per game run heavy. Yeah, I think Kirk Cousins was at like 27 pass attempts over the last three games. He was above 40 in the first 13. And then, you know, they used their first round pick on a center. They used their second round pick on Irv Smith so they could play more two tight end sets. They used their third third round pick on Alexander Madison, who couldn't even average five yards per carry in his college career. They hired Gary Kubiak. Uh, You know, they retained the offensive coordinator under which uh, Kirk Cousins fell from four, over 40 pass attempts to 27 over the final three games, and Kevin Stefanski. You know, all signs point to uh, a run-first mentality in Minnesota. That's what they want to do. I'm not sure that fits the strength of their roster, though. I mean, it's it makes no sense in today's NFL, man. God, <clears throat> poor Vikings fans. They have Stephon Diggs. They have Adam Thielen. Kirk Cousins is at worst a league average starting quarterback. Their offensive line is still bad. You know, why are you trying to build your offense around your weakness? It's like the anti-Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan sees they don't have a true alpha in the passing game. So let's leverage these athletic space backs. Let's feature them in the passing game. That's optimizing the skill sets you have in front of you. Unlike what's happening in Minnesota, where they have Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, arguably the best wide receiver duo in the league, and they want to run the ball. Does not make sense. It's it's just like a uh, my my scheme, my philosophy over my personnel sort of thing. The old school run first coaching relic is going extinct in the NFL, but some of these characters like Mike Zimmer just won't die. Figuratively, figuratively. Wish you all the best, Mike. It's playing Jabril Peppers, a strong safety who plays in the box, you know, as a punt returner on first and and 10. (laughs) Yes, 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 of course. Find a way to get that Greg Williams dig into the show. You know, talk about forward-thinking NFL front offices and coaching staffs. I think you have that in Indianapolis, where it is a new day. Chuck Pagano to Frank Reich is one of the great coaching upgrades in recent years. And you look beyond T.Y. Hilton on that wide receiver depth chart. You have Devin Funchess. You have Paris Campbell. They both have utility, especially in best ball leagues. Funchess gives you that multi-touchdown weekly ceiling. Paris Campbell can give you those 100-yard games. So between Funchess and Campbell, who you got in best ball? Oh, yeah. Well, it was, uh, for me, Paris Campbell for a while, but Paris Campbell has missed a ton of time with a hamstring injury. This is a relatively severe hamstring injury, unfortunately. It's just, it reminds me of the, it gives me the the Kiki QT shakes, you know, from last year. So I think that Devin Funches definitely needs to be ahead right now. With that said, I think that Paris Campbell, you know, if, if they can get him healthy and that he can string together practices and during the regular season he can string, string together games, he's going to have big games. I think that he is such a good fit in this offense. Just You just drop him into what Chester Rogers was doing last year. Chester Rogers ran 90% of his routes in the slot. And I think that that's how they're going to use Paris Campbell as like a drag route guy and a guy that they just get run after catch chances. Dude ran 4-3-1, um, and he crushed it last year at, at Ohio State. He really did. I mean, he had what, over 90 catches. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a dynamic player with the ball in his hands. Frank Reich, he was a hand-picked dude by Frank Reich, uh, and it's just it's a matter of health, man. That's what it comes down to. Same with Nikhil Harry. He's suffering turf toe. Which injury is worse? It's just a, a situation that we have to just track and you know try to feel out because 
turf toe can be like a pain management thing. And then pair, you know, the hamstring injury can be, it just, it just needs rest, you know, and it's highly susceptible to setbacks. So I don't know, man, I'm, you know, I wish that I, I had gone to medical school and I had a better grasp on this stuff, but you know, unfortunately I did not. As Nikhil Harry continues to miss time, Jacoby Myers has been flashing throughout training camp, but in steps Josh Gordon. Any chance Jacoby Myers can be a thing? Yeah, I think we, I think the time is now to care about him because he's running consistently with the first team. He has per, you know capitalized on all of his opportunities. Although I think he was not a very good athlete, you know, uh, from a testing standpoint, he did catch over ninety passes last year at NC State. He broke Torrey Holt's single season record for most catches in a season by an, an NC State receiver. So he's got you know intriguing, and he was playing in one of those passing games where there was another alpha right Kelvin Harmon yeah more catches than Kelvin Harmon in less games last season yeah man so I think that we absolutely gotta we need to start to to shine I'll be really interested to see how he is used in that third preseason game when Tom Brady is on the field and if he's running consistently with that first team as he has uh, so far but it's technically really just been with Brian Hoyer but I want to see him on the field with Tom Brady That game is everything for Jacoby Myers. Now, Curtis Samuel has also been flashing big playability seemingly every day throughout camp. But my DJ Moore enthusiasm is inelastic. My love for DJ Moore is stronger than Oak. But I'm happy for Curtis Samuel. Because if Curtis Samuel delivers significant splash plays this season, that means Cam Newton's a top five quarterback in fantasy football. So staying the course projecting DJ Moore to be the number one receiver in Carolina while simultaneously upstacking Cam Newton because Curtis Samuel cannot be stopped in practice. What do you think of that approach? Yeah, I think that you can like both DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel in Dynasty and in Redraft. And then you necessarily have to love Cam Newton. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and they were very they they were very pass heavy last year. Um, you know, until Cam's arm like fell off late in the season. But, you know, they were very pass heavy, especially on early downs. They understand their personnel really well, both DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel and, of course, Christian McCaffrey. So good with the ball in their hands and uh, in uh, run after catch opportunities. And so they just dropped the heck out of Cam Newton's. For so long, Cam Newton's dot was really, really high. And last year it was one of the lowest in the league. I think that that was actually a good thing. And I think it suits their personnel because they have these dudes that are so good with the ball in their hands. Now look at David Moore. He was the late-round small-school wide receiver that came out of nowhere to be productive for a handful of weeks last season. But it's as if it never happened, because Seattle went out and drafted DK Metcalf at the end of the second round, and then followed that up with another top spark athlete in the class, Gary Jennings. The problem is, Gary Jennings is a Gary, and Garys are not exciting. And Gary Jennings is generating zero buzz in training camp. And DK Metcalf is a developmental wide receiver. He's not an extreme developmental long shot like Hakeem Bustler, but he's a developmental receiver nonetheless. So by process of elimination, it's David Moore's season, right? Well, I think that he has a clear role in their three-receiver package. Yeah! Um, It's going to be Tyler Lockett in the slot. And it's going to be David Moore outside and then DK Metcalf as like the low volume field stretcher, you know, Martavis Bryant type player on the outside. Oh, 
And I think that the team pass attempts are going to rise considerably this year. I still think that they're going to be, you know, top top 10 in the NFL in rushing attempts, but, you know, because that's part of their philosophy. But I but they, I mean, they threw the ball with four and 20 lowest of any team in the NFL, a total embarrassment. Yeah, I know that it was the second fewest pass attempts of Russell Wilson's career. And it's just hard to maintain that year over year. And if you look at what has happened to their defense, it has been absolutely decimated. First of all, Ziggy Ansah, who, you know, they have been hoping will be their replacement for Frank Clark, their best pass rusher. Ziggy Ansah has not practiced yet in training camp. Oh, no. Be, uh, Bobby Wagner, their stud middle linebacker, maybe a future Hall of Famer, uh, he underwent a PRP injection for a knee injury, missed a big chunk of camp. Jerron Reed, their best interior defensive player, is suspended for the first six games. Oh, no. And then their first-round pick, L.J. Collier, who they are re- relying to uh, relying on to spark their pass rush. He's out indefinitely with a severe ankle injury. So they have just and they lost their slot corner Justin Coleman to the Lions. He's, a re- he's probably their best cornerback or at least their most consistent. Earl Thomas only played four games for them last year, but that's 25% of the season. He's gone. I mean, th- this defense is not going to be very good, and they're going to have to throw the ball more this season, and David Moore can benefit from that. I was just in a high-stakes dra- draft with uh, Adam Levitan, and we took David Moore uh, in- with our last pick in the draft. I think he's a great last-round pick. The best final-round pick. Now, the team with one of the best defenses is Chicago, and their quarterback is Blake Borda. Mitchell Trubisky, and you could easily see Russell Wilson finishing the season with more pass attempts than Mitchell Trubisky and significantly better efficiency because the Seattle defense is a shadow of its former Legion of Boom self. It's a Legion of Boo, really. But even on a low-volume offense, the number one receiver can be productive. And Allen Robinson is now close to two years removed from a torn ACL. He's been the best wide receiver at Bears camp by far and away. Do you think he's immune to bad quarterback play? I mean, he's definitely shown us that before. Last year, I thought that he was an easy, easy fade in pretty much every form of fantasy. He was coming off an ACL tear. He was changing teams. He was changing quarterbacks. Um, and I think he is just the one of the best like post-height buyback receivers. He's 25 years old right now. He turns 26 uh, eight days from the day that we're recording this. Uh, over his, the last 16 games in which Allen Robinson has played, including the playoffs, 79 catches, 1,126 yards, five touchdowns, 14.3 yards per reception. Um, in the in that playoff game, when we finally saw him healthy, 10 catches for 143 yards and a touchdown. Um, and I think that Mitchell Trubisky is going to lock on to Allen Robinson this year. This is their second year together, their first full offseason, because Allen Robinson wasn't ready to go uh, you know, throughout his first offseason with the Bears. And I think that this team is going to throw a little bit more than it did last year. You're changing defensive coordinators, Vic Fangio to Chuck Pagano. Chuck Pagano is back in the league? Get out. Oh, uh, we just, uh, you know, we, we, we just got to keep grinding. Keep grinding that grindstone. Just, just, just keep grinding. Chuck Pagano, who hasn't ran a good defense in, in quite a while, you know, in Indiana. We've seen year over year that defensive efficiency is difficult to maintain. Everyone thought that the Jaguars would be able to carry over their dominant defense from 2017 to 2018. That didn't happen. We could definitely see the Bears take a little bit of a step back on defense, and that could help the, the pass attempts of Mitchell Trubisky and the targets for Allen Robinson. I think he's a, a Bilo in Dynasty. He's something that I, someone I would be trying to acquire right now in Dynasty Leagues. 
He is my number one wide receiver target in Dynasty because I want productive wide receivers in their prime who are available at a discount, and Allen Robinson checks those boxes. You know no player's ADP has risen more raw draft slots than Ty Montgomery? Are you buying that he's the clear-cut number two and should be drafted in fantasy leagues? I don't know about involved as a slot receiver, but I'm definitely buying that he's the clear number two on the Jets. I mean, that you know that's been confirmed like literally everywhere, including uh, based on his usage in the preseason. Uh, he's like you know they just slide him right into the Le'Veon Bell role. Between Jamison Crowder and uh, Quincy Anunua, this loaded Jets offense already has two competent slot receivers who can operate close to the line of scrimmage. So I don't see a path for Ty Montgomery to have standalone value. His previous ADP was RB80, and he needs to be like RB55. So, I mean, yeah, he's he's likely just a straight-line handcuff, but he's he's also one of the best handcuffs. So he needs to be in that, you know, Chase Edmonds tier. Oh, Ty Montgomery's not touching my Chase Edmonds tier. My Chase Edmonds tier is a coveted tier. But the Cardinals flamed out in week two of preseason, and that's making some fantasy analysts nervous. Are you nervous about David Johnson? No, 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 not, not, not at all. But, I mean, look, with, with Ty Montgomery, if something happens to Le'Veon Bell, Le'Veon Bell hasn't played football in 20 months, you know? If, if something happens to him, then Ty Montgomery is going to jump into a role where he's probably getting over 15 touches per game on a loaded offense. <laughs> I love it. Now, when you look at Brian Hill, do you think he has an opportunity to seize that number two running back job in Atlanta and become Ty Montgomery South behind a running back who is quietly vulnerable? Well, Edo Smith did play pretty well in their third preseason in their third preseason game. Yeah, they played three. No, they because they played in the Hall of Fame game. So the the best Brian Hill was the best back in the in the Hall of Fame game. You know, among these Falcons backups. The best back in the second preseason game was Quadri Allison. And then the best back in the third, I thought, was actually Ito Smith. Uh, so Brian Hill's officially going to be the hill I die on? I mean, I think that all three guys are pretty interesting. You know, they're, they're lined up behind a running back that has missed a lot of time and suffered a lot of injuries in Devontae Freeman over the last two seasons. So it's a camp battle to watch. But, you know, I think that they're just dynasty stashes right now. All else being equal, I want the number two back on the Falcons. This is going to be one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. And if anything happens to the number one, your consolation prize is primary back on Atlanta, on the Falcons. That's a better prize than primary back on the Jets. And that's fair, except there is no clear backup on the Falcons. There is a fairly clear backup on the Jets. You know that, in effect, you're saying Elijah McGuire is done. Josh Norris, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Well, when he goes to Tampa Bay and uh, goes for over 1,500 yards from scrimmage. Yes, yes. On Tampa, Elijah McGuire would be great. Get your agent on the phone or fire him, Elijah. Now, another rookie who has been lighting up my timeline with spectacular catches against air, Hunter Renfro, Oakland Raiders. John Gruden loves little Hunter Renfro. Does that mean that we need to love Hunter Renfro? That doesn't matter at all because uh, John Gruden also loved Christian Hackenberg, man. Snaps are snaps, and the Raiders will be in garbage time a lot. No, it, it matters if Hunter Renfro is playing. 
Yeah. I mean, Hunter Renfro, it looks like he's going to be their starting slot receiver to open the season. We've seen Derek Carr overutilize Seth Roberts in that slot role year over year. Uh, and, and Hunter Renfro is probably better than Seth Roberts. There it is. I so want to be a fly on the wall watching Ryan Switzer watch Hunter Renfro go out and catch 80 passes this year. So demoralizing. I could be him. Hunter Renfro also happens to play right field for the San Diego Padres. It's unbelievable how this guy plays in two sports. And no one even talks about it. No one wants to talk about it except the Roto Underworld Radio program. Now, Zach Ertz and George Kittle are being overdrafted based on where you can get David Njoku and Vance McDonald. Do you agree with that? I don't think that George Kittle is being overdrafted. You're comfortable with Kittle in the second round? Absolutely. And I think that the lack of clarity in the receiver core only reinforces that George Kittle deserves that ADP. And also, I think that he's going to score more touchdowns this year. He had five touchdowns on 88 receptions last year, and he's going to score more TDs. Go look at his college track record, his like touchdown versus receptions. Uh, Mark, it was higher than Rob Gronkowski at Arizona. I mean, this score, this dude is a was born to score touchdowns, and he he is going to experience positive regression in that category this year. I have failed the listeners once again, conflating Zach Ertz and George Kittle, acting as if they're synonymous, putting him in the same bust category. When in fact, while Zach Ertz has all the hallmark warning signs of a bust candidate, George Kittle actually has none, except the unsustainable yak per target. Yes, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And of all people, Mike Clay agrees with us. It's more likely that Zach Ertz goes under 125 targets than going over 150 again. There's just way too much target competition in Philadelphia, and Zach Ertz is not a downfield playmaker. Now, let's talk Dynasty. Give me that guy you're stashing, the back of your roster. Who do you qualify for truth or status on? Well, um, there's this uh, fifth string running back on the Patriots who is just so good in punt coverage and... Uh, he's really good at blocking punts. And then sometimes, sometimes he'll get in the game and, you know, he'll do something really cool. He's good at football. I know that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I will be a Rex Burkhead truther even after he is retired. I love players who are good at football and Rex Burkhead is good at football and he has the best football name, Rex Burkhead. I know you're busy managing the best new fantasy content site to come out in a long time, EstablishTheRun.com. Go there, subscribe. Now close us out with an extremely bold prediction. You know, I've listened to so many of these, and I have to say that the most bold prediction that I've heard so far was Hermsmeyer when he said that the Cardinals were going to win the Super Bowl. That was quite bold. Um, I So now I wanted to kind of, you know, come up with, I was going to say Miles Sanders averages 17 touches per game and finishes as a top eight RB1, but I think I'm going to go with Justice Hill, top 15 fantasy running back. Patrick Doherty, I hope you're listening, and I hope you feel shame for where you drafted Mark Ingram. I added some cloak and dagger to the show so you couldn't tell 
whether or not we knew about the Josh Gordon news before we recorded. Here is where I come clean. We did not know Josh Gordon would be reinstated during that interview. I dedicated a full backstage pass show to the Josh Gordon reinstatement fallout. Check it out. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. But I reconnected with Evan Silva this weekend. We sat down and talked about the reinstatement. We have uh, some amazing news. Amazing. That broke not long ago. Having Evan Silva on the line to talk about Josh Gordon's reinstatement well before anyone, even, even the most enthusiastic Josh Gordon touts, didn't see it happening quite this soon. Evan, you have him in every league. How do you feel? Just elated, elated. We were actually, uh, for EstablishTheRun.com, we were doing a live video stream ahead of a preseason slate on Thursday night, and Schefter tweeted it, and Adam Levitan was like, oh, we got some we got some real, uh, you know, regular season, real, you know, season-long news. Some real news, some actual news, some very important news. And I was like, what, what? He's like, Josh Gordon just got reinstated, and I, I just, I lost it. You did a double take. Your double take was the best. <laughs> you, you go, what, what, what? <laughs> it just didn't register. It was such good news that it didn't register initially. Watching it sink in on social media for you was amazing. It was awesome. And it's not just because I, I drafted him. Um, it's because we had him like real, real, like way higher than his ADP, uh, you know, in our tiers and our top 150. And we were like telling people, hey, you know, get him, get him now, you know, get him now. And that it helped a lot of people. Um, and also it just makes the, the product better. You know, I, I want to see Josh Gordon play. I don't think people realize how freaking good he was. Last year, he led the Patriots in yards per target at 10.6, led the Patriots in yards per reception at 18.0. He was 14th among 96 qualified receivers in yards per route run. He was number seven among 125 receivers in yards after catch per reception. Um, you know, he is he and that was like he, he was he, they just picked him up like off the street, basically. You know, the, the Browns traded him. Oh, uh, John Dorsey, John Dorsey traded him. Uh, for what became kicker Austin Seibert. Is that right? The pick became a kicker. Who was actually being beaten out by Greg Joseph. Uh, their like, journeyman you know, camp leg has been beating out Austin Seibert, the great John Dorsey. Uh, but, but anyways, yeah, and the Patriots came out of it with, with Josh Gordon. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy for just the game of football at this point. Yeah, if you draft Baker Mayfield, all these mistakes in his wake don't matter. You got Baker Mayfield, and that's all that matters for John Dorsey's reputation. The one disagreement I'm seeing among the high-profile fantasy analysts that I respect, how does Josh Gordon's reinstatement affect Julian Edelman's target share? I mean, I think it's a, at least a small concern. I think it's a small concern. And I actually did move him down one slot to behind Antonio Brown. That's it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, well, I, I still want him. I mean, he's going to be – and first of all, Josh Gordon could – you know, we, he could like not even play, you know, this season still. I mean, that's still very much on the table. Okay. There, it's not like Josh Gordon is now locked into playing 16 games. Well, he's never played 16 games. <laughs> so, he's never played 16 games. Right. We've never seen it. So I don't think you can make a big adjustment on, on Julian Edelman. Uh, I, I just moved him behind Antonio Brown. Of course, now, you know, Mike Mayock is talking about, uh, you know, calling out Antonio Brown in, in the media. I mean, it's getting bad. 
in Oakland with Antonio Brown. So now I want to move Edelman back up ahead of Antonio Brown. But, you know, these are the these are the, the things that we're thinking about constantly when we're doing rankings and projections. If you don't move Edelman down, that means that Tom Brady becomes a QB1 pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, last year when Josh Gordon was on the field, Tom Brady averaged two more yards per pass attempt. That, and that's a big, big deal, man. I mean, that's taking you from seven. Wait, wait, two YPA? What? 1.8. So that's taking you oh. from, from seven yards per attempt, which is like, you know, Derek Carr territory, to 8.8 yards per, per pass attempt, which is, you know, like Patrick Mahomes territory. So Josh Gordon's potentially offsetting the Rob Gronkowski effect. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So Tom Brady's the happiest man on the planet other than Josh Gordon. Yeah, they and they have a lot more dimensions to their offense right now than it looked like they would have entering the season. We know they're going to have a stud run game. I mean, they've got four capable backs or better, and you know they were turning uh, four or five offensive line starters and you know they they use a fullback who's a stud i mean they have like a legit really good like a dynamic running game with a, a lot of versatility with james white and then and now they have explosive an explosive passing game option uh to to go with julian edelman and uh and Nikhil harry has looked good he looked good on his preseason catches unfortunately suffered turf toe and he's now kind of out of the picture as, as a redraft pick yeah, Nikhil Harry is is the big loser from this, unfortunately. He's not the happiest man in the world, but fantasy gamers, especially Evan Silva, are elated. Congratulations, my friend. I mean, this this is a crowning achievement. You you bring established the run online, Josh Gordon reinstated. You're having a hell of a year. It's off to a good start, man. I gave him Miles Sanders, bro.